So check this out. Last April, I took a trip around the world to one destination that was kind of a dream destination for me. It was Tahiti. So it's halfway around the world. It's really long getting there, but it was so beautiful, so magical, right? Now, I went there to teach a gospel choir. So I was there for about 12 days. What if I told you that before 2000, I never taught gospel before? Welcome to the Monique on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Monique B. Thomas. And in episode three, we are going to talk about how to fill a creative void. In other words, there's something you want, but it doesn't exist. You've got to create it. See, I believe at the heart, all creatures are creative. Creatures create. You've heard the saying, necessity is the mother of invention, right? This saying is actually derived from Plato's, our need will be the real creator. So the fact that you want and need something and it doesn't already exist has now created a void that you have to fill. As a pedagogue, I've actually built my entire career, my teaching career, on this. So if we go back to my example of the gospel choir, I'm literally teaching gospel all around the world when originally I never taught it before. Let me tell you the story. So I moved to France in 1998, and I was teaching. And at the end of the school year, the director came to me and said, can you rap? (laughs) I said, no, but I can teach a gospel choir. And I don't know why I said that, because I'd never taught gospel choir in my life. In fact, the only directing experience I had was um, I had one year of studying uh, orchestra direction which is nothing to do with gospel choir. But I had been singing in choirs my whole life and had been singing gospel. I grew up in the church. So because my mouth was faster than my brain, now was talked into, I talked myself into having to do a gospel choir. So I sat my little self down and I did what any other person that was in a bind would do. I found a way. I started to look up songs that I loved you know, I did a lot of songs by Kirk Franklin at that time, and it was, you know, he was still very new and it was really hot. And I did some other stuff by John P. Key, and I had to sit down and transcribe everything and learn all the parts. And it was so time consuming, but boy, was it fulfilling. That choir lasted for nine years, and I, I actually changed the community where I was because what I was doing didn't exist there, you know. And so people started to talk about me in other areas. And I became, at that time, the go-to person for gospel choir. Now, this is actually just, it's not just about me, because many, many years later, I still get people that write to me and say, oh, do you remember that time in the gospel choir when, you know, and I get all these stories and my heart gets, you know, a bit warm from it because it was so long ago. And I had no idea that that one thing could turn into me teaching gospel all over the world and touching people all over the world and also touching people's hearts because, you know, gospel does have a message. So what I really want to get into today is why should you try to fill a void, how you should go about it, and what are the benefits? So when I say, why should you fill this creative void, what I really mean is, why should you specifically fill this creative void? Well, here's the thing. You're the person that is feeling that lack or that need or that desire for this thing to exist. 
So you're actually the perfect person to drive this project. This thing is directly tied to something you probably already know how to do, but needs or requires further development. The idea came to you and not someone else. So somewhere in there, you've got some of the skills probably required to start things out. And I do believe that skill plus desire plus action will equal results. But you can also think of this as an opportunity for personal growth. So let's talk about how you can get started. The best way for me to do that is to give you an idea of how I do my classes. So when I get a series of students that ask me the same questions, I think to myself, this is an opportunity to create something because I get tired of repeating myself over and over in class, but also there's a public for this thing. So how can I make my job easier and satisfy my clients? I can create one class where they can all get what they're asking for. So let's take my Riffs and Runs class and courses. Well, over the years, when I moved to uh, Europe, the first thing people ask me, because I'm a Black American, is, can you do Riffs and Runs? And while I could always do them, and it's not necessarily uh, a large part of my style of singing, I could do them, I figured I could teach them. But I'd never actually really done it, so I had to kind of go back and start from the end. I had to start from listening to riffs and runs and breaking them down myself in order to figure out uh, how I could teach them to somebody else. And as I started to teach them, I realized that a lot of the information I had relied on the fact that I already knew how to do them. So I had to really adapt to somebody who didn't come from my culture, that didn't necessarily have the ears that I had after playing piano in the jazz band and singing in choirs since, you know, a young child, and also um, teaching somebody that doesn't know a lot about vocal agility or their voice is just not agile at all. So starting from scratch made me had to dumb everything down. And I don't mean dumb because they were dumb, but I had to keep it very, very simple. I had to begin to understand what was required in the class and what was the desired result. In fact, I started from the end. What is the desired result? Well, the desired result is that the voice can move fast and that students can pick up these uh, riffs and runs on their own and eventually create their own. But let's take another example. As a private vocal studio owner, I realized that my non-professional students needed some sort of performance opportunities because otherwise they would only sing in class and they had nothing to keep them motivating, motivated to practice. So I started looking around and noticed that other studio owners were doing uh, student showcases. So a student showcase is when, well, you showcase your students, you do a concert, and it's really nice to make it feel professional and have it fun. So you get a nice venue, and you get a nice band, and you have them rehearse. And I mean, if you really want to make it good then what you can do is get some of your more advanced students to sing backing vocals for the other students. And I had them sell tickets and I made it a big thing, but this thing didn't exist where I was again. So I needed to create something for my students to stay motivated. It's always, most of the things I create are really for my clients, you know, to make sure they're getting the most value out of the time they spend with me. Um, So I just had to look around. I went on the internet and then of course I have a network of 
vocal teachers all around the world, so I'd look on their websites and I'd ask them questions. I basically just did research about how they pulled the show off. So what I did was I took some notes and got a feel for what I needed. So I needed a venue, I needed professional musicians, and I needed there to be, you know, sound and light there. Um, I wanted the venue to be nice and hold a decent amount of people. And then I had to see how much that was going to cost me. And I then had my students sell uh, tickets. I think they were like five or 10 euros. I can't remember at the time, but it was a full house. I also had some of my more advanced students sing backup for all the other students, which was really, really nice. So it had a professional feel and it gave something for my students to look forward to. Um, Oh, I didn't pay for the venue because the venue was part of a music school and they just, we traded my time in a master class for paying for the venue. So um, so that kept costs down. Um, and so that is about it. But at the end, what I had was a professional showcase for my current students, which then brought in new students because, you know, friends and family came and were like, oh, wow, I really want to do that too. And maybe my vocal studio where I'm going, they don't do anything like this. So that kind of, um, it was a way to get my studio out there get people, you know, looking at what I was doing. And again, you know, it had an effect on the community that I was trying to serve. So hopefully, by now, you can see that when you fill a void out there, there are a lot of benefits to it. So there's benefits to the community that you're in, but you also have benefits. I think the first benefit is the personal satisfaction of creating something that hadn't existed before. I think that's really exciting. And knowing that you, by yourself, or maybe not by yourself, but, you know, it started with you, you took a project from A to Z and got it all done. Another benefit is simply the fact that you are at the origin of a project. Well, then your name gets put on that project. So people who didn't know you before now know who you are. It's like you're carving out your own little niche Uh, by doing this thing that didn't exist. So you actually become the go-to person for what that thing is. Uh, Another example would be, um, let's say you don't live near a large town or city and you want to have some sort of vocal jam session. You could start a vocal jam session and then, of course, you'd run the jam session, but you'd also sing at the jam session. So you're going to get people who are already in that community that sing but you'll probably get people from surrounding towns who also want to be a part of that community. So that's going to be good for your personal brand. The last thing I'd like to talk about is how the thing that you create will benefit the community that you're a part of. Whether you like it or not, you're a part of a community no matter what thing you do. So as a singer, you're part of the singing community and doing this new thing might create, you know, a service or something for that community. And you know, Once people begin to catch on to what you're doing, it's very possible that your community will grow. You might not be so alone in what you're doing. You'll probably get the help of other like-minded people. Isn't that kind of cool? So just a few things I want you to remember when you're faced with, should I create this thing that doesn't exist or not? Remember that you're going to get the personal satisfaction of creating something that didn't exist before. You're building something your community can benefit from. And you're going to be developing personal skills that will help you in everything else that you'll probably do. 
Now, this last little bit has absolutely nothing to do with today's podcast, but I just want to share a little piece of myself with you. I want to share my two favorite words. The first one is quirky, having or characterized by peculiar or unexpected traits, kind of like an oddball or something different or unique. I guess you could say I'm a little quirky because why would I talk about something that has nothing to do with the rest of the podcast? The second one is the word whimsical, playfully quaint or fanciful, especially in an appealing and amusing way. I like to think that that word is um, magical. You know, it's something that lights up my eyes and makes me dream. It makes me feel like a kid on Christmas Day. Those are two words that I love, and I try to find something whimsical in every day, and I also try to accept the quirkiness in myself and in the people that I meet every day. I do hope that you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please go ahead and subscribe. If you didn't, send me an email. I want to know why. Talk to me about it. You can contact me at info at moniquebthomas.com. That's info at moniquebthomas.com. And let's chat. Well, all right. Go out and create that thing you've been wanting to create. This has been Monique on the mic. Musically. Musically.